0: It's that time again. We go beyond the jive. Join our hosts John Swan and Natalie B. Brave the sting of beginning to reap the sweet rewards. All you hive jive junkies out there, this is the hive jive.
1: for everybody tuning in. Thank you so much for joining us for another Patreon episode here with Natalie and myself. Uh, The Hive Jive today is represented by Be Mindful and Wicked Bee. Yes. (laughs) So our topic today, as we mentioned uh, a couple of teasers on that first episode, our topic today is going to be the pitfalls of beekeeping. And we luckily got most of our randomness maybe out of the way in the first episode so today we're going to go through and see if we can tackle this topic seriously see in, in, well as well as we possibly can given whatever circumstances it. at the moment um yeah so from a um not necessarily necessarily like serious but concise maybe okay more focused maybe. <laughs> more focused. that's it <laughs> so far we're not doing too, too good on that we're not um, good at
0: this <laughs> Especially when we're together.
1: <laughs> Look, you got to have fun, people. If you're not having fun, there's no point in doing it. That's yeah. all there is to it. So, all right. Um, pitfalls of beekeeping. So this is just kind of ad hoc train of thought, right? So anything that pops into your mind that you want to throw out there, we'll go with it. Um, to get us started, I would say number one pitfall in beekeeping is it can be a lot more work than you would expect when you first get started. Um, And I am, myself, am guilty of telling people, if you can take care of a dog, you can take care of a beehive. And then I had to change that to, if you can take care of a garden and keep it well weeded, you can take care of a beehive. Because the dog might have actually been a little bit more of an oversimplification. Mm -hmm. The garden may be a little bit more accurate because you don't have to be doing something to it every single day. But there are key things that need done at certain times that if you don't do it, could potentially have an advantageous outcome or effect to it. So that would be number one, it, it can be more work than you're used to. But also, as we discussed in that first episode, it depends on how many colonies you have. Mm-hmm. One or two beehives is honestly, in the greater scheme of things, not that much work. So see, contradicting myself, because mm-hmm. why? Why? You can ask one beekeeper one question and get five answers. I'll prove it. Um,
0: and the main one is it depends,
1: or it, does depend. it depends. It does depend. Anytime we get a listener question in, if I'm the one that actually gets it, it's usually a follow up of questions. That's right. Before I ever give an answer, it's like, well, let me know where you're at. What time of the year is it there now? What specifics do I need, you know, on this information from the colony? And then once I have all that and I can put it into perspective, I can then give you a much better answer that's geared towards you and not just generalized. Because in beekeeping, generalization is kind of all of our downfalls. That, there's another pitfall right there, generalization. That's it, right. Yeah. I have an entire presentation That I have slowly been working on and I have teased this on the show. I swear one of these days it's going to become a book. I will get there when I find the time, but it is beekeeping the art of contradiction Mm -hmm. because every aspect of it at some point or another will either contradict itself, contradict you or contradict everything you've heard from anybody else.
0: That's right. No, and I totally agree with the generalization. That was one of the ones I was going to mention, actually. So many, I know you stole it. So many people will give you general rules and general uh, oversimplified recipes um, that they say should apply to what you're doing. And, and they'll say, well, you've got you don't have much brood in there. Well, you don't have a queen. I'm sorry. That's not the main reason why you don't have, you know, a brood in the colony. That could be a number of reasons. They might have just swarmed or they might be in a dearth or they might not be a queen. That's true. Or she might not be laying right now. So, so there's all kinds of reasons why that might be the case. Things so generally
1: taken out of context.
0: Yes. Um, and trying to get your answers from recipes. So how often do I feed? How often do I do this? How much do I feed? It depends, it always depends. So I would say the biggest pitfalls is to, like you said, uh, overgeneralize and oversimplify and try to go with recipes when it always depends.
1: It does always depend. <laughs> <laughs> do not believe everything you see on YouTube or Facebook. I've said it a thousand times over, they're the devil.
0: That drives fact, me crazy. I think I said it the
1: last episode, they're the devil. Yes. I say it all the time. Um, because if you do post something up there, it is one it's out of context to the person you may have a picture of brood and you may be saying what what am i seeing here but without knowing all of these other things that go into play there you don't have those answers mm-hmm. and you know one of the things is oftentimes this time of year so for us in the united states right now we are um well recording wise we're the last day of august well mm-hmm. second to last day of august and air date wise will be into the second week of september technically so you based on your region like we would normally be in a summer dearth and the queens a lot of times will shut down production and stop raising brood and if you're a new beekeeper and you look in there and the only way you know to to tell if you have a queen is by seeing new larvae, and you don't see them you panic oh my god i lost my queen and we get a flood of in like exactly People reaching out, calling social media, emails. Oh my God, I lost my queen. Do you have a queen? I need a queen. And I talked to one lady here recently where she thought an entire apiary, seven hives, all (laughs) of them were queenless. And I was like, well, common denominator to me would say that you're not queenless, probably in any of them. It's more likely what's going on in that environment for that locale. And whether or not the bees are actually needing to raise more babies, because if there's no food coming in, why raise more mouths to feed like they are so economical when it comes to being efficient, and knowing when to do what and why, like the bees know best, we just have to learn how to interpret it properly.
0: Well, to your point, you were posting, and I've seen it in my own hives here. Usually we're in a dirt here, but we see a whole lot of capped brood in a lot of the colonies, even though we there's not that much coming in. And what that tells me is that the bees know something we don't. Right. And there's probably a whole bunch of nectar come in because we we haven't had that dry, burning hot weather that we usually get. So the the landscape's not looking brown and burned up. Right. So I think the bees know that they've got a really uh, nice nectar flow, a fall nectar flow coming in, and they're preparing for that, which usually wouldn't be the case.
1: Yeah, no, and, and see right there, another contradiction. Mm-hmm. Normally we would be in this, this year we're not. I go out there at the tail end of August, I pull out a comb, it's got fresh nectar in it. Now it's not so much nectar that they're actually like building new comb and capping it and I'm getting like a huge flow, but there's nectar and normally there wouldn't be any. So right. that, that, that in itself can change that whole parameter. It's another piece of the puzzle that you have to take into consideration.
0: Yep, and the bees know better. And if we tune into the nature of bees again, and we understand that they know best and their, their instinct is more in tune with what their environment is doing, then we can trust them. And, and and know that if they're shutting down and contracting and not rearing brood, there's a reason for that. We shouldn't be feeding them and pushing them to rear brood when it's not the right time for them to do so. We should let them follow those cycles of weather and forage and, and just trust them to do the right thing because that's what they do.
1: That's right. Okay, so there there we go. There's one. What you got? What's next? I've
0: got, I've got. Uh, well, one of the other things that, not necessarily a pitfall, but more of a bad habit that beekeepers uh, have. I hear a lot of people training new beekeepers and telling them you need to look for your queen, like that pertains to what we were just talking about. You need to have your eyes on the queen. Every time you go do an inspection, you need, you need to find that queen. And I find that to be one of the most damaging things that beekeepers, especially new beekeepers can do. First of all, that doesn't teach them how to read the colony and and find signs of the queen. And and that's how you end up with people, like you mentioned, panicking because they haven't seen the queen. And and then next thing, you know, they don't see brood. And then all of a sudden they forget they're in a dearth and they don't realize that's what the queens do. So I think it needs to be said that that queen spotting. Uh, trend is actually very damaging to colonies because it pushes beekeepers to get into their colonies longer, deeper, and it's more stressful to the brood's nest and the, the colony as a whole. It sets them back, and you can actually kill and roll, roll and kill your queen when you're looking for her that far, that much.
1: Especially in a Langstroth.
0: Yeah, especially in a Langstroth where you have to pull those frames vertical and and just kind of roll the bees, and you have to be very careful and make enough space that first yeah. frame.
1: Absolutely. So, the, the the uh see this is where an um is going to come in there
0: because mm. i had it
1: and then it went whew, it that little bee, well, did well, you see you, the bee fly out my ear
0: yeah and then giving you a chance to find your bee again and capture it again i would say chances are um if the queen was there last time chances are she's going to be there and chances are she's going to be fine so don't assume that there's a problem uh, every time assume that if things were fine last time She's going to be in there as well
1: So I have another one But that that last word that you said Is actually a great pitfall assume. as well Assuming mm-hmm. You should never assume um, Ken had this issue And we, we mentioned it uh, Briefly On the last episode of this But He would always ask Should I be doing this? And I would ask him back, are they bringing in nectar? Like, should I feed? I don't know. Are they bringing in nectar? He would say yes. Hmm. And then I would give him a response that goes along with yes. No, you do not need to feed right now. If they're bringing in nectar and they've got open liquid in the combs, they're probably fine.
0: But you're assuming.
1: But I assumed (laughs) that he was looking inside of his colony, which rarely did he ever do. And he was assuming that they were bringing it in just because he assumed there's a lot of activity at the entrance. They're coming and going, they must be bringing something in. In reality, at that time, his area was in a dearth. They were starving. They had no food in there. And then when it all came out in the end, he turned around and he was like, well, you you told told me me not to do it. So I didn't do it. And I said, but I asked you if you had looked in the colony and if you saw nectar in the combs and every time you said, yes, so it you never should assume. If you think there might be something wrong, don't jump to a conclusion. Don't assume. Do a little bit of investigating. Do a little bit of research and figure out what other variables could be playing into that to give that outcome or that result. Well,
0: oh, and I would go a little bit further than that. As experienced experienced beekeepers set into their you know uh, knowledge, we know what the terms mean we know what how much nectar is enough and we assume ourselves the experienced beekeepers we assume that we're talking about the same thing right and 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 somebody's going to tell you well i'm seeing wax malls and you're going to assume they're seeing wax malls when in in reality they're seeing small hive beetles, or you know there's a very host of things that they could be telling you uh my colony is queenless and you're going to Take those assumptions and those hypotheses and you're going to try to solve their issue and give them good quality recommendations when in the end, the premises, the assumptions were, were faulty right. because right. we're not necessarily talking about the same thing. So we really need, like you were mentioning earlier, to ask questions and be very detailed and simplify our questions to really match the knowledge level. It's not that they, you know, it's not a belittling or anything. It's just that we have to really understand that we're at the level where we might assume a whole lot more things and we need to really meet them where they are so that they can learn and and understand their conditions.
1: I agree. Um, I think another pitfall is going to extremes or polar opposites. Yeah. And one of the things that can happen here is... If you see everything as black and white, in reality, most of all of the stuff lies in that field of gray in the middle. Absolutely. But if you read this and it says this and you just only do this, at a certain point, the scale tips the other direction and you have to compensate for that. So you've got to be able to know the flow of your colony, the ebb and flow of of any colony in your area, how it's going to work, what to expect, when. And a lot of times, a new beekeeper, one of my favorite examples of this, is a lady who just wanted to have stuff to have stuff, right? She didn't necessarily learn what she should have learned. And when she would, she would take it to the extreme. So Mm. she bought a package of bees. She asked on the local forums and asked a very reputable individual, how should I go through and do this? And the answer was feed them as much as they will take. Because the answer was, what should I do to a package?
0: Mm.
1: Now she took that. And was feeding them literally a gallon a week and never stopped.
0: And, and then, then she there's no space for
1: the queen to lay. Exactly. She couldn't figure out why her package was never growing. It wasn't getting any bigger. It only had a few comb and then it stopped. And the, the size, the population was shrinking. Because again, you can't take it in extreme. So that package, you feed it as much as it will take initially. Mm-hmm. And then once it starts building out comb, you start cutting back because if you feed them too much yes they will take it and they will happily store it in the comb and then there's nowhere for the queen to lay if the queen can't lay you don't have new larva if you don't have new larvae you don't have new bees yeah, if you don't have new bees you can't draw wax and if you can't draw wax nothing ever grows well so, it could
0: actually spell the death of that colony
1: exactly It it could stunt it to the point where it can't keep up with itself your older bees age out and there's no newer bees in there to replace them and it spirals so again take everything with a grain of salt don't go to extremes if you think a little bit is good that doesn't mean that a lot is going to be the answer to your problem moderation is always the key and always do that investigating and figure out not just what's going on inside your colony but what's going on inside the environment that the colony lives in to know how to answer those questions could it be this or is it really that or is there something else at play
0: that goes with uh, what Les and I uh, usually go by is less is more, right? <laughs> you see how I did that? <laughs> less is more because in beekeeping, <laughs> um, because in beekeeping, when you're trying to overmanage your colonies, you're overthinking and you're trying to to kind of think instead of the bees and not letting them. You're you're trying to impose your will in your management style and your recipes again, and, and that goes, that usually kind of stalls the bees or is counterproductive, is stressful because you're in there too much, too long, uh, you know, too often. And um, the the other thing I would say, so that kind of goes with your extremes, but less is more. And the other pitfall I would mention is that there's a whole lot of beekeepers out there that have a lot of experience, especially the commercial beekeepers. There's a lot of things that are being repeated from one, you know, beekeeper generation to the other, the good old time, you know, myths. And, and there's some things that are precious and they're very valuable, but there's a whole lot of nonsense that's being repeated and applied without being questioned, right? So there's yeah. no critical thinking about this. One of the examples would be, well, the queens, she cannot take care of herself. She doesn't feed herself. Have you ever watched uh, a queen emerge, a virgin queen, and the first thing she does is she goes and takes a big, long sip of nectar? Yep. I've witnessed that myself. And then you put uh, 10 queens together, they'll kill each other. Well, I removed 10 queens from a customer's about a month ago, and I had them together because I wanted to put them in alcohol, and they were feeding and grooming each other. (laughs) So don't always assume that what the old experienced beekeepers are telling you is correct all the time. It always depends on the circumstances and the bees will always, they don't read the books. They don't right. read they,
1: don't, they didn't no. read the book. That's right. They
0: don't follow the myths. So they will do like you were saying in another, in the previous episode, they will always keep you on your toes and surprise you and teach you new things. And be, when you think you've understood what they're doing, they will come up with another curve
1: curveball excuse me yeah no you're (laughs) absolutely right so on the on the note about queens and kind of some misconceptions there something that i found very very interesting and i've always known it to be true in one aspect but not in this other so the old adage and again it's a law of averages it's it's not it shouldn't be taken as this is always how it is it's just a law of averages there is typically only one queen per colony now, in yeah. some cases, mm-hmm. if you have a very large colony and you have a lot of comb, you can have two queens that peacefully coexist. And I've seen this sometimes doing removals where it was a whole wall space mm-hmm. and you've got a queen up top with her own brood area and a queen down in the bottom with her own brood area and several feet between them. Right. And they're happily coexisting and all of the workers are going through and they're they're working together as well. It's similar to us doing like a two queen system in a hive. With a queen excluder. With a queen excluder. But there was no excluder other than distance. However... Mm-hmm. Recent studies have shown that more times than not, there will be two Queens in a colony, the mother and the daughter queen, because the mother maybe didn't leave with the swarm or maybe she was clipped and couldn't leave. And the new queen was born, but she didn't go right away immediately and kill the other queen. And they both go through and they both still raise babies. They lay eggs. The smells are all intermingled. Everybody gets along. Now it doesn't mean it will be that way forever, the colony may rectify itself and may eventually, the other queen may be taken out by the colony, may be taken out by the other queen oh, or may just die or leave, you know, like anything like that can happen. But the reason we don't come across it and don't notice it is goes back to what you said earlier. We're trained to look for the queen. And once you found the queen, you we stop look looking. further. That's mm-hmm. right. I, I'm done. I did my part. I found the queen. I'm moving on.
0: So most people don't notice that, but I think evolutionary speaking, if you think about it, it does make sense, right? Because for a while, you've got uh, two queens working together and there might be a reason why they're doing it and and to kind of build back up the numbers before maybe the old queen can fly away with a swarm. You know, that's another possibility. But again, the bees know what they're doing.
1: Yep. The bees know best.
0: So on this note, one of the other pitfalls I would say is that to to go to, again, the extremes and decide that you have to have only experience to be successful, or only theory will teach you everything you need to know. And not having both of them is, I think, a pitfall of a lot of beekeeping uh, stories.
1: Well, one thing that beekeepers don't take into consideration, and this is something that Tara and I talked about on a recent interview, is when you sign up for beekeeping, you have absolutely no idea that you also are going to need to be a botanist. Exactly. Like, you've yeah. got to learn so much about the flora and fauna and how it interacts with the bees and how it interacts with the season. And it's just as important as knowing every aspect about the bees themselves and what goes on inside the colony. So, I would go
0: further. I would say you have to be a master naturalist.
1: Yeah. I live next door to one of those.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Because you have to understand there's not just the plants, there's also the other insects and the other uh, native bees and the populations of um, predators and other things around. So it's not just about the plants. It goes even beyond that.
1: That's right. The more you know.
0: The more you're in tune with the, that's what I love about beekeeping is that it, it puts you in contact in direct connection with your environment and the world that you live in. And you start to understand it a lot more uh, from the cycles of weather and forest. You pay more attention to what's out there, to what the plants are doing, to what your neighbor is spraying, to what everything is happening.
1: Yeah. And it, and it all comes back into play whenever you open up that colony and you go through there. So absolutely. It's, you never stop learning and you should Mm -hmm. never stop learning. Don't, don't just be satisfied and then be like, okay, well, you know, I've done this for a year. I read a book. I'm good. You know, there's always something new to learn. There's always a new perspective to go through and take into consideration and see if it applies to your situation.
0: And there's a, there's a a beekeeper that I know that's kind of a big page in Texas that um, kind of downplays the theory, the books, the you know the degrees in master beekeeping and all the stuff, and I think it's a detriment to the experience of successful beekeepers because I think there's something to be said about really understanding all the research and all the the um, uh, education about the superorganism and and all the readings that you do will actually will definitely inform how you keep your bees on the ground. It absolutely. will definitely make you a better beekeeper, and there's absolutely. Uh, a lot of value in that. So you cannot replace experience. That's absolutely true. But experience without any education is not only going to get you this far.
1: And vice versa. mm -hmm. Education without experience isn't going to get you very far either. You've got to have both to make it work. I set in and I felt I, I, it was one of those moments where it just kind of blurted out. Um, I set in on a presentation from an individual that is, well known and well respected and highly scientific. Mm-hmm. Highly scientific. Meaning all of this information has been researched and, and vetted, and you know, that's all that gets talked about. And I sat there in this presentation and I listened to the individual repeat an adage that is not true that a queen bee cannot or will not fly. And After she's mated? Just yeah. Like once what, she's in what there do she's they do laying. when they swarm? <laughs> well, exactly. Exactly. And- and and so, when you open
0: the hive and she flies off.
1: Exactly, that was my thing, and I just just blurted it out before I could even stop myself. I was like, "Well, that's not that's not right." <laughs> there's been plenty of times that I've opened up a colony, and there's a big old fat chunky queen and solid brood everywhere, and I reached in there to grab her, and she's like. And she got loose and took off. Now, granted, was she the most elegant, graceful thing? (laughs) No. That was like a helicopter trying to lift off and, you know, the way she went. But, I mean, she spiraled right on up and right out of the air. And I was like, well, crap. And when you look at, like, when you're buying queens, and this is one of the reasons that I I interrupted and, and interjected that in there was because, when you're buying a new queen and she's in a cage, if that cage came from a commercial queen breeder and she's been banked, she's very tiny, she's very skinny, and she absolutely can and will fly. So mm. you don't just open the cage up and willy-nilly mess time. with her. Yeah. She'll fly away. And your 30 bucks or 40 bucks just flew off. And you know, that fat metd
0: queen inside that colony,
1: yeah, she can fly. She's not as agile as she is when right. she's at her fighting weight, but and she can fly. She'll probably still
0: come back in 10 minutes, but still. Yes.
1: <laughs> That's the other thing too, if, if that queen was raised in that colony, did her orientation and mating flights in that colony, if that happens, just step back and wait and watch. Yeah. If the hive is open, she'll land on the top and she'll walk right in the comb. If mm-hmm. not, she'll land right at the entrance and she'll walk inside the colony and you can watch yeah. her do it. But if she's a purchased queen and she's never seen the outside and of that the colony. First
0: time and, she, and they're picking on her because you're trying to yep. you introduce her after a requeening.
1: Yeah, she may get confused. If you've got a lot of colonies in the area, she may go to another colony because it smells like They're bees killed. and then she gets killed.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So there you go. There's a pitfall.
0: Here's <laughs> Oops, an, yeah, that's died. a good one. Exactly. Here's another pitfall related to queens. Um, most of your beekeeping success is um, ax, axled around the queen itself, right? And I think that one of the pitfalls is too many people get poor queens. Yes, there's a couple of things that can go wrong. They can be inbred, and inbreeding um, depression is a very damaging thing to a colony. You want a really hybrid vigor. You want her to be well mated with local drones uh, instead of poorly mated uh, with related drones. And the other thing is that very often what happens is that when you're when you've got um, when you're forcing your colonies to requeen themselves. Uh, as in splitting and trying to get to rear a new queen, that's an emergency queen. And she might not necessarily be well-fed. So she might not wait, mate as well. And she might end up being a poor queen because of it. The other thing is that you can um, you can end up with a queen that's gonna be, um, uh, so she might be inbred because she didn't go as far. She might not be as well-fed. She might not even return turn as successfully because of it. So poorly mated, poorly fed. The other thing is that a lot of the suppliers, when you're purchasing a queen, they will um, graft, meaning they will pick out a larvae that's uh, just a few hours old or a day old. Uh, it has to be less than three days old or it won't work uh, after a hatching from the egg. And then what happens is that they'll, they'll lift up that larvae and then put it in another uh, cell so that it can be reared as a queen um, the problem with that is that when an egg first at hatches, it gets fed, uh, by default worker jelly, unless they're rearing a queen with it. But if you're grafting, you're getting those worker larvae that haven't been fed that royal jelly. They're getting fed worker jelly, which might not, which is not, <laughs> excuse me, allergies, <laughs> which is not as nutritious, which is not as, um, um, geared to trigger those epigenetics and turn them into a queen, right? So you're taking an inferior larvae and turning it into a queen. So your queen is never gonna be as well uh, as fat and as well fed and as well, um, you know, uh, as good quality as a queen that was reared for that specific purpose, like the swarms. uh, They rear them for that specific purpose. The other thing is um, a lot of the suppliers will, once they've grafted, they will also harvest those queens just after they've been mated and put them in the cages uh, after a day or two, they see eggs, they're good, put them in the cages. Well, their system, their, their reproductive system, their ovaries haven't had the time to really get going. It takes a week or a week and a half for them to really get going and they are not given that time. Meanwhile, they're being caged and potentially banked or shipped. And and they don't get into a position where they're going to be able to lay for another week to maybe worse, yeah. and that's one of the bad things also of purchasing uh, queens from suppliers. You really want to ask the questions when you're getting uh, your queens from from people. Are they grafted? Um, where they're from? Like swarm? Um, uh, like swarm? conditions or where the emergency conditions you kind of have to have those questions and know that whatever purchase queen you're getting is not necessarily going to be as good as any queen that you're going to so what i like to do is when i purchase a queen i'll set her up and then i'll I'll let her lay and then i'll get one of the egg i'll just remove her after a while if the conditions are right if we're in the nectar flow and then i'll let them raise another queen from those genetics because that they will be better suited.
1: So there's there's a couple of aspects to that. There's an underlying thing that often gets overlooked. And that's the fact that the bees can actually detect things on a genetic level. And they have a preference that has been seen in Queens where they actually have a royal lineage and you can mm-hmm. find the DNA in drones and you can find it in Queens, but rarely do you find it in your average worker. Right. And that's because they, when it's gonna be a worker, oftentimes they'll call that egg out But when it's going to be a queen, they purposely seek that egg out and use that to raise the queen. Now, any egg, any female fertilized egg can become a queen, but you have different variances of how genetically diverse she is and how adapted she is for that role versus Mm -hmm. a worker role. And so that gets overlooked. If you're doing grafting, not only are you grafting a larva that could be older than it should be, Mm -hmm. could possibly get damaged in the process of Mm -hmm. trying to graft it could go through and have already been too old and been fed other things, so now it's not gonna develop fully, but you are you are selecting at random the genetic profile and then forcing the bees to make a queen out of it. If you go through and you do the, if you kind of use, like you were saying, the emergency or supersedure to your advantage, you take a perfectly healthy queen that you love all the traits and attributes of, you remove her from the colony, allow them to start raising new emergency bees, but do a tiny little intervention, go in there and remove all of the very first ones because those are ones that were, oh my God, we have to do this right now, but not necessarily the right age. Mm -hmm. The other ones were eggs that have just hatched and at that perfect stage, you let the bees raise those and then you go through and you select those larger variants of that, Mm -hmm. you are upping the chance, but you're letting the bees have the control over the genetics in picking which one should become a queen and you can kind of hedge your bets with that. But the last part of it too, on the queen banking, if you take that queen, you let her mate, you immediately put her in a cage and you ship her off. Yes, she laid mm. eggs, but you know nothing beyond that. Right. If you let her lay and you leave her in there long enough that they cap her first round of brood, now yeah. you know, is she fully mated? Did she lay drones and have misfires? Are they all worker bees? And how good of a pattern did she lay? Now, if you take that queen out of that colony and you immediately put her in a shipment to go to somebody else, you have a much higher success rate than the other queen that got banked Mm -hmm. and letting her go through that whole process. Again, it lets her work out the kinks. It lets her figure out how to do it. You know, she's going to actually lay two eggs and a couple of cells because she's going to repeat and go back over a space. She's just learning and just figuring it out. So you let her get all that out of her system know that she's actually well-mated and has a great pattern before you claim that and send it to somebody else.
0: So this is a great segue, by the way, to the next episode about business and beekeeping. Ah,
1: The business of beekeeping. Mm -hmm. That is perfect. And that will be our episode for next week. So on that note, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up. Thank you again for tuning in and joining Natalie and I here. We both greatly appreciate it. And we will talk to you next week. But until then, be good. Be mindful. (laughs) (laughs) Bye-bye, everybody. Bye.
0: This Hive Jive production was made possible by amazing patrons like you. And we appreciate your support. To all our Hive Jive junkies out there, you truly are the bee's knees.